everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mature Audiences Mayhem. My name is Glenn King. It is my great honor to bring you this podcast where we talk about things that other podcasts either cannot or will not or fear to talk about. That is, things for mature audiences only. As you know, for all you regular listeners of the podcast, we like to pretty much focus on two things on this podcast, and that is adult entertainment and pro wrestling. We've had some great adult entertainers on lately. I think it's time for us to get back into the world of pro wrestling. So I've got with us today what you would call a subject matter expert. He is one of the world's leading experts on the subject of pro wrestling. He has a podcast that you will absolutely love if you're a pro wrestling fan or even if you're not a pro wrestling fan. He is the great Matt Michaels from the Vegas Bad Boys Podcast. What's going on, Glenn? How you doing? Hey, I'm great, Matt. How you doing? How you like that? Um, those cheering that we just had—it's amazing. I can get that many people in the studio. Yeah, I thought there was some kind of ban going on on <laughs> large groups like that. So I'm glad you were able to get them all in. <laughs> yeah, it's a small space, so I had to have tiny people cheering with their tiny little hands. <laughs> All right, well, let's get right into it with you because there's exciting news from the world of wrestling this week. It's buzzing. I'm so glad we're talking about something that actually happened in the ring instead of something coronavirus-related. Mike Tyson, after 10 years or so, has made his return to the world of pro wrestling. What is going on with that? Like, start. Can you just summarize for the listeners what exactly happened in the first place? Well, I think... Um... The best way to describe it is when a company like AEW that's an upstart has the right connections, you have to make decisions that will bring more eyes to your product and hopefully they're eyes that are not pro wrestling eyes. So you're tapping into an audience who might have like been a pro wrestling fan back in the Attitude Era growing up as a kid but haven't watched in a while. You're trying to grab that audience who, you know, might have uh, been online and just saw, like, ESPN or some kind of news article saying Mike Tyson is involved in pro wrestling. It's great for the eyes. So a smart decision was made bringing him in. Tony Khan has the resources and Jericho basically is the king of promos. You know, it, he's yes, someone... I've said that give on the show many times, right? Oh, oh he's genius. He's genius. genius. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, by the way, um, we're talking people about AEW wrestling here. Tony yep. Khan is the owner of AEW wrestling. Chris Jericho is, let's call it the face of AEW wrestling. And then... Uh, Mike Tyson, of course, you know who he is, but what brought him to light uh, most recently is if you watch on his Instagram, he's been putting up these videos of him training for a boxing comeback, and it's unbelievable at age 50 just how good he looks, or 50-something, I think, or close to 50, uh, how it's, good he looks and how how um, <laughs> devastating his punching looks right now. Yeah. Keep going. No, but I, th I think that's a very good point because what – you're essentially doing when you bring someone in is get eyes on your product. The reason Mike Tyson would agree to do something like this is because it brings eyes on his brand. So 
it worked for the WWF back in uh, 1998 to bring Tyson at the peak of the controversy with biting the ear off of Holyfield. It drew a lot of press. And that was a turning point. Uh, I think that almost every uh, historian you turn to will say that Mike Tyson brought the WWF back into the mainstream light. And that's when the light went off and the Attitude Era was going full force. And people started paying attention more to them than WCW. So this was early 1998, uh, January of 98. Mike Tyson showed up to watch the Royal Rumble. That was the big thing. They were showing shots of him sitting in the box, uh, you know, way up in the arena with Shane McMahon. And they were portraying Mike Tyson as a huge Steve Austin fan. And the next night when they brought him into the ring at Raw, it was basically to praise Mike Tyson and that he's the baddest man on the planet. And that's what set off the glass shattering and Austin coming out because he was the baddest man on the planet. Yeah. That Amazing. set up. That was fantastic. The, yeah. Yeah. And so what you saw essentially with AEW was of sorts a recreation of that moment um, being that you now had – Jericho, who is clearly the company's baddest man on the planet um, in terms of how he thinks about himself. And that is the coolest thing about Jericho's character. Right, right. No but, but I do want to – hold on now because let's yeah, not yeah. leave something out. Um, back 10 years ago or 12 years ago or whatever it was, there was an incident where Jericho was uh, uh, challenging DX – and he had Mike Tyson to back him up. And then when he turned around, Tyson was wearing a DX shirt. And and then Tyson punched and knocked out Jericho. Right. And that's kind of what has set us up to redo this again uh, 10 years later. Yeah, it's almost like um, if you have uh, a piece of thread and you're just kind of pulling along that – like that Mike Tyson thread line has literally – lasted 22 years in pro wrestling and an interesting fact was mike tyson was supposed to be a guest referee back in the early 90s on saturday night's main event they they would always do the uh once uh, a year or twice a year they would do the main event special on friday nights in prime time he was going to be the referee and then Buster Douglas knocked him out. Mm. And so they replaced him with Buster Douglas. So the interest of Mike Tyson from the perspective of wrestling companies goes all the way back to around 1990 itself. Um, and Mike Tyson is a wrestling fan going back to growing up as a kid. So it, is the perfect mix to put these entities together. Now, is Mike Tyson a wrestler? No. Can Mike Tyson probably rearrange your face with one Eric punch? Yes. Yes. 
So, and he's a little bit older, so he's a little bit, you know, slower. So I don't know if we'll see an actual, plus if he's trying to really make the comeback to boxing, you don't want to uh, potentially hurt yourself trying to do a match in the ring when you're not used to it. Now, if he's secretly been training, man, that will surprise everyone because we we haven't actually seen him do some kind of match. And if WCW could get away, they, you know, they were the ones who brought in guys like Jay Leno to wrestle. <laughs> All right. Dennis Rodman, Carl Dennis Malone, Rod. um, oh. and of course, David Arquette, who didn't. Now, to his credit, David Arquette has now learned to be a wrestler. But back then. No. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's he's one instance that I can think of where you put the heavyweight championship on a belt who had no experience, who actually loved it enough later in life to pursue it, which was great. And I think that you might see that with Tyson. You know, here, here if, he, if he doesn't feel that he's serious about boxing or doesn't really think he'll come back, but is, you know, putting up the videos to create the hype in the brand, then this would be just an icing on the cake. And I think he could get almost any kind of gig as it is. <laughs> but, right. I, you know, to to get your brand back in worldwide uh, talking, it, it, that's the huge thing. I think that uh, a couple of the things that I've seen uh, from some of the fans is – basically asking the question is this relevant is tyson even still relevant and to me that was a head scratcher because he's mike fucking tyson well that's a smart question a smart mark question (laughs) the the people that like myself who just watch wrestling for entertainment just you know i don't i'm not judging on things like is it relevant or is it not relevant i'm judging by and is this show entertaining to me when I yeah. turn on the TV, does it compel me to keep watching, or am I going to fall asleep? And uh, and clearly, this is entertaining. Uh, by the way, it's it's covered in uh, Jericho's books. Jericho, who has been a guest on this program, uh, has has talked a lot about his um, in ring incident with uh, Tyson and how concerned he was uh, for his own safety because. You know, that punch has to be in the exact spot for him to not really end up getting hurt. And there was a lot of concern that one inch too far in a situation where he he was working inexperienced and improvisationally, Jericho gets potentially really hurt. And he said Tyson was perfect with his punch. It's absolutely amazing how he can throw a punch that hard with the kind of precision that he does. And that would indicate that there is some potential for him to learn a few moves if he can, you know, he has that kind of dexterity for, for being able to, uh, to be precise, which is the key for wrestling, if you guys don't understand out there, that your number one job when you're wrestling is to protect the person you're wrestling with, not to actually hurt them. And uh, so that's a question, if Tyson actually wrestles. So you don't think he's going to do a match then, though? I don't think so. Um but I think that you're going to see something along the lines of some kind of, you know, we might see, you know, a punch land um, in terms of it might cost Jericho a match. You know, something that is traditional in wrestling where 
Um, you have someone – now, I do have to say, Mike Tyson and the way he's been used over the years, the one thing I could see happening is that Tyson might be some kind of referee mm-hmm. and Jericho might have a match against like someone in the elite, let's say. Mm-hmm. And Tyson might double cross, uh, you know, seem like he's with, you know, Kenny Omega, let's say, uh, someone from the elite, like Kenny Omega wrestling Jericho Tyson might show favoritism towards him. And then at some point, uh, you know, Tyson would turn on Kenny Omega, making him part of the bubbly bunch <laughs> because I mean, he, he is a former Le champion. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but, you know, what's interesting, um, out of all this that, you know, got the attention, uh, when you call it up, first thing on one of the first articles on Yahoo Sport is not necessarily about the fact that he is getting involved in the wrestling, but <laughs> the fact that he was ridiculed on social media over the fact that he could not tear his shirt off. <laughs> okay right so you know he's he's getting in the confrontation and, he, and he's gonna do the hulk hogan move and he can't tear the shirt off and it was probably because it wasn't you know pre-cut hogan always had his shirts pre-cut if you looked you know um it, it was cut around the the neck so that it was easy to tear um the thing about that is uh jericho I love the fact that he picked up on the fact that Tyson was struggling with this when he finally got it to a point where it was kind of off. Jericho simply says, yeah, you look good. And to me, that was beautiful improv. That's part of what makes him the best in the business is his ability to adjust on the fly like that. Because I'll bet you that – uh, Tyson wasn't supposed to take off his shirt in the first place. Otherwise, they would have pre-rigged it. And yeah. he was improvising, and then he screwed up the improvising, and Jericho uh, uh, you know, did okay. I, I heard Jericho talking about his initial confrontation with uh, Matt Hardy a few weeks ago, and he was saying that um, the stupid drone didn't show up when it was supposed to. For some <laughs> reason... They they had a plan that, uh, you know, it was like, okay, well, on some cue, the drone was going to come flying out, and they heard the drone, but the drone wasn't there. So um, if you go back and watch the confrontation with Matt Hardy, you'll see, like, about four or five minutes of stalling that's Jericho at his best. Uh, you know, just killing for time until that, until that drone showed up. And you wouldn't even notice it if you weren't an expert. You know, if you weren't familiar with how Jericho operates. Well, the brilliance of Chris Jericho in those terms is that there are not many people in entertainment, you mm-hmm. know, let alone wrestling, who could make an inanimate object seem so important. Yes, and when it doesn't show up, just like if a wrestler missed a cue or, you know, an actor is not picking up on their line, Chris Jericho is so smart to be able to stay in that moment and just 
riff and and come up with stuff a lot of people just cannot rise to that occasion that's that's something they're not comfortable with especially when you're talking about uh a lot of guys who are not trained improv actors you know these are literal athletes who have to find a character within themselves you know a guy like ken shamrock who being a great fighter he still took a long time to find a comfortable persona in pro wrestling. Sure. And I think that's, you know, you look at Chris Jericho and you say, I hope that every single kid, you're seeing it a little with uh, Sammy Guevara absorbing this knowledge. LAX, who are a fabulous wrestling tag team, never really got much... uh, Mike time yeah in in impact wrestling yep the and, lax oh. who's now part of the uh jericho's little clique called the inner circle uh and they're called proud and powerful now but um no yeah, look, but let, me, let me talk about a second about something yeah. i know about jericho that i think is is a reason every single person that's listening to this podcast if you enjoy the entertainment portion of wrestling you should be watching aew these days here's yeah. why because when Jericho was with the WWE for so many years, he had a lot of control over his own content, but in the end, he still had to read a script, essentially, that was provided to him by Vince McMahon. And he could propose a character, but then once he proposed a character, he would have had to, he has to get approval before he switches characters. What he's done in, in AEW is put a character out there, and then allow it to organically evolve into something else. And what you're seeing right now, where where Jericho is entertainment and comedy and fun at and and good wrestling and physicality all into one, that's just the real Chris Jericho with his personality amplified. And it's really exciting to see each week as he just comes up with ways to be entertaining. He's not worried at this point as to whether he's a heel or a face or whether he's staying true to the character because there is no defined character that was approved. It's a character that is just evolving based upon interaction with other wrestlers and him, his own brain and the audience, if the audience ever comes back. Live audience. I think that is very true, and I think the um, live audience aspect is something that a lot of people, when you're a fan, you want a live audience. And I think that's because of the fact that we're so used to it, whether it's going to a small, you know, dim with 20 people or, you know, almost 100,000 in a stadium. It's easy for the fans to get into it and help the wrestlers then feed off of that energy. And Chris Jericho, it's very interesting because he's one of the few guys who makes this empty arena stuff look like there's a a full arena. You know, he still has that feel. Yeah. And he also just reading up here on, uh, it looks like Jericho has come out in uh, an interview uh, this past Thursday 
where he said about Tyson wrestling in the ring, he said, it's not up to him. That's up to me. He said, of course he's capable wrestling is all shapes and sizes. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. If he's agreeable to doing something with us, then we work to his strengths and eliminate his weaknesses. And that's what wrestling's all about. That's one of the best encapsula- you know, encapsulations of what wrestling is about. That is nailed. Anyone who is a student who wants to get into that business, that is something that you, you have to uh, absorb. And that's why Chris is so good. He has all this knowledge. He puts it out there. And this is like a, a interview in the UK, like something like, you know, how much uh, publicity, you know, is he really getting with this? That's real stuff, man. And I, I love that. I yeah. love the fact that um, someone like Mike Tyson could, you know, again, could easily hurt someone in the ring. But if he's willing to do it and they play to his strings, it could be one of the coolest, um, you know, uh, buildups to something that actually has a payoff with Tyson that isn't just, um, you know, him being a ref or, you know, something. But safe bet is they go with an angle where he's an enforcer or a ref or something like that. But damn, just going back and looking at where he was, uh, Mike Tyson, body-wise, 10 years ago, he was looking a little bit chunky and luggy. Yeah. And now, man, yeah. he takes that shirt off when he poses. Man, he's oh, I, I'd hate to, uh, I'd hate to be the one owing him, you know, fifteen hundred dollars, and he's <laughs> coming to collect. You know? uh, yeah, no, I, he looks. He's a scary guy. He, he lives a couple miles from me here. I haven't seen him in the neighborhood yet, but um, who knows. Um, uh, well, speaking of getting into the business, you know, you mentioned uh, anybody who's trained in the in the business. You yourself are trained as a pro wrestler, and I want to uh, get into that with you. Uh, but first, I got to tell our listeners about our wonderful sponsor, Sext Panther. So, if you're a regular listener of the show, uh, you have listened to and gotten to meet through the show many wonderful adult entertainment stars. Uh, wonderful ladies like Christy Canyon and uh, Ginger Lynn and Christina Rose and Courtney Taylor and Kimberly Chi and just so many more. Uh, You're wondering, how can I meet them? How can I get to know them? I'm in love with these girls. I'm in love with their personalities and I want to get to know them intimately and have an intimate relation and uh, relationship. And the way you do that is Sex Panther. That's S-E-X-T. P-A-N-T-H-E-R dot com. It's easy. You go to that website and you choose your favorite adult performer and then you get her phone number for free and you start texting her. And you can send her uh, pictures. Uh, you can She can send you pictures. She can send videos to you. She can talk to you on the phone. And for some people, that's a great way of starting a sexting relationship where you just exchange dirty pictures. For other people, it's just a great way of getting to know somebody that you've seen doing dirty things to get to see, to know the personal side of them. So it's quite wonderful. And many, many people that I know now just talk to their favorite porn star and say, how are you doing? How are you getting through the quarantine? And they're wonderfully... 
um, amused and happy when their favorite porn star randomly texts them and says, hey, how are you doing in the quarantine? So all of this is available to you at Sex Panther. And uh, Matt, if you ever want to get to know some of the amazing porn stars that you've heard on the show, this is what we recommend that you do as well. Go to Sex Panther. And not just Matt, because if you're one of the many adult performers who actually listens to the show, we, th we want you to go to Sex Panther and set up an account because this is the best way for you to build long-term relationships with your fans. And trust me on this. I've been in the adult industry for about 20 years. People often ask me, what's the secret? What's the one thing you can recommend? My secret is, is that we build long-term relationships with our fans. The, there are people that have been members of my website for 18, 19 years and just continue to stick with us. You've got to think long-term. You've got to think, how can I build these relationships? So you do that with Sex Panthers. So whether you're a fan or whether you're an adult performer, go to sexpanther.com. S-E-X-T-P-A-N-T-H-E-R.com. Back to you, Matt. So um, let's just talk about yourself. Uh, You've got quite a history what what did you do first? Because I know you've talked to me about your work in the uh, the the reality show or game show world. You've talked about your training as a pro wrestler. Um, what got you started in entertainment? I honestly started when I was a little kid. Um, I think that a lot of times performers you don't uh, you don't choose to be a performer. You just as a kid start playing you know, and creating scenarios and, and characters by using GI Joe figures or transformers, you know, us eighties kids, um, had that kind of stuff to create our own atmosphere, star Wars figures mixed in with GI Joe figures, you know, the stories were just strange and completely ridiculous, but you start finding a, a storytelling confidence, and it draws you to try a little acting. And I think I've always been fascinated because I think anyone can act. I think we do it in our daily lives. You know, we put on a face and a persona that we want people to see. And sometimes when we get home, people don't realize that it's a totally different, you know, feel because you're not in public. And it led me to realizing that as I was doing things, as I, you know, was getting into SAG-AFTRA and enjoying the process of acting, I also was liking production because it's fascinating, man. And Glenn, you know this, you, you do production. There's so much that goes into it that people don't see the hard work of what you know, they just see that final product and you're striving to give them good entertainment and quality. And for me, it's comedy. I love the fact that people can laugh at something I've done. At the same time, I also really loved wrestling as a kid and started Greco-Roman wrestling when I was about 10 years old and wrestled into high school. And had that foundation and base. And it was a conversation with Al Snow, who at the time was with the WWF in the, it was around the year 2000. What do we want? 
head (laughs) his catch phrase that was it what do we want we all want head and then he had a little mannequin head that he brought with him the great al snow yep and the the coolest thing about al is that he's gone on to be an uh, owner of uh, ohio valley wrestling which now has a state accredited school where you could get credit for you know in a, in a degree in training in pro wrestling so al gets it he he's always known even when he was a performer i think he knew that he was heading towards being a trainer so he gives good advice everyone you talk to in the business loves al and al said to me um you know don't make it a career make it a hobby because obviously you're acting, that's your passion and career, but you're going to hate looking back 10 years from now, 20 years from now and going, I could have done that. I could have tried. I could have felt what it was like. And he was right. He was absolutely right. You know, when you have an itch to do something, you got to at least try it. And this way, you don't have to put all of your... Um, stakes of your life into training when you're not necessarily going to use the path to become a pro wrestler. I more so wanted to learn the ins and outs to see if I could do it and realize that unfortunately I'm not the most athletically gifted. I could fight and brawl, but boy, you know, my hat's off to those people who can actually throw their bodies in twisting ways and, you know, climb up these ladders and do these extraordinary things because these guys are great athletes. Even the big boys, you know, people that understand even the wrestlers that are 400 pounds or, or, or more, uh, can still do these incredibly athletic moves. Even, uh, what, what's the guy's name in impact now? Who is, uh, 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 war, uh, war, war load. No, no, no. Um, he was just in a match last week with him versus uh, Fafa La or whatever, and you had oh, a combined and... like thousand pounds between the two of them or something. Yeah, yeah, um, and I forget his name off the top of my head, but he's he is like legit like four fifty or five hundred pounds, I think. Yeah, he's um, a big fat guy to be blunt, but yeah. he's very athletic. He moves really well. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, and follow ball, uh, follow ball is. One of the performers that, um, if you watch him, he is so entertaining. He looks like um, AC Romero. Looked, I think is his name. Yeah, yeah. Oh, AC. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and it's amazing to watch two guys who are north of three hundred pounds be able to wrestle like they were. Um, you know, some small guys under luchador masks. Yeah. It's incredible what people can do nowadays. Um, and we even, uh, we interviewed Fallabaugh. And the best thing about pro wrestling is the fact that when you listen to these guys do podcasts, um, the Vegas Bad Boys podcast, we've had a lot of great guests. And the reason it's successful is because 
they have interesting stories and we're not even talking about, you know, Hey, I wrestled so-and-so, you know, because I think that's what gets usually thrown on everyone is that they are wrestlers. Well, they're people. And that's the coolest thing. When, when I started training, the best part about training wasn't necessarily, you know, going through the motions and doing it, which was fabulous. It was meeting so many cool guys and girls that I would do it again in a heartbeat just for those relationships because it's a brotherhood, you know? Uh, and let me so, point something else out yes. to the listeners about the Vegas Bad Boys podcast. The people that they're interviewing are usually not WWE wrestlers. And so you might say to yourself, oh, well, I've never heard of him. Why do I want to hear this? These are people who haven't made their bones yet. When he says they're people, they're people. A guy who's already made the WWE is already going to have a certain level of confidence because he knows that if and when he ever leaves the WWE, everyone else from all the other organizations will want him to wrestle there for the most part. Um, but we're talking to people, and I do this on my show sometimes as well. I talk to independent wrestlers. They haven't made their bones yet. They're on the way up. They have doubts and insecurities just like you do in your job as you're trying to get to a position where you're, you've made it already. And you get to hear them and the hopes and the passions and the dreams and the excitement in their voice as they talk about you know what they envision their lives going to and, and where they've come from. And it's just so much more personal than listening to a show where they interview a WWE wrestler. Um, so yeah, go ahead. No, and that's a very good point because there's two sides to it. One, WWE is very protective of their image and brand as they should be. So when you're listening to an interview with those wrestlers, you know that there is a PR person and they have many PR people. You know, a lot of the companies just have one person or two people at most. WWE will send PR people with their wrestlers every single appearance. So it's very controlled. You're also talking about a company that makes characters. And so they don't want to blur the lines too much. They'll give you some you know, sense of who they are. But in reality, they're playing these characters. And you'll see a difference between a WWE interview with a wrestler when he was under contract and an interview with him after he's left yeah. where they can breed him and, and no you know, leash pulling him back. Now, I was lucky enough to train in Southern California. Um, when I was looking, I was looking for something that was reputable. And Rick Bassman had started UPW which was Ultimate Pro Wrestling, Rick was the man who uh, helped Sting train. And Sting and yep. uh, Ultimate Warrior, right? Exactly. Awesome. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that uh, automatically drives your brain to go, okay, I got to at least check this out. And one of the first people I met was uh, Big Schwag, and that is uh, Brett Wagner. Brett has gone on to be a very popular uh, TV personality in different things uh, that are um, motorcycle and car related. So he does a lot of those shows. He um, 
he was on uh he was the voice uh, i believe the voiceover guy on uh, jesse james's uh show back in the day um and you know so he went on to do things he's been in movies to this day still if i reach out to him we'll have a small conversation you know we'll talk because it was that bond that you made and even though you weren't like best of friends i've never had any of the guys that I was around not respond to me. And that is something that you don't see in a lot of industries, especially being an actor. You try to, you know, maintain friendships with people that you meet on sets. It never happens. Right. You know, it's so rare. So it was, it was a great opportunity and it was a great time because it was the early two thousands and you had, John Cena there and with John and Samoa Joe um, as well, these guys would go on to be huge superstars in the industry. And John, of course, you know, breaking into now the world of movies and television shows. And, you know, he's just very talented. Well, you trained at the same time as John Cena and uh, Samoa Joe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you wrestled those guys. No. I would. I wouldn't say wrestled. I. I personally will be always honest, in saying that what I was doing was actually training. Mm-hmm. So I was learning the ins and the outs without necessarily, you know, little matches, but nothing in public. You yeah. know, I was learning straight in the ring. Um, but I was, you know, here's John Cena training us. He would fill in, like if. Uh, if Samoa Joe, who is one of our head trainers, the other was Tom Howard, who is currently in Las Vegas, and he's helping out the Future Stars Wrestling, FSW, here in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the idea was these guys would train you, and you would learn you know, all the different holds, moves, but not only that, how to put matches together, how to develop your character, what is the psychology involved – when I say wrestling school and Ohio Valley wrestling is accredited by the state, the state recognized what it really is. And that is you are taking a class. You are literally learning a trade. It's a trade that, you know, had never been recognized before as such. Now it's finally getting the, the credit because you're seeing when we trained it was all about in-ring and character and promos and that kind of development. Now, you're seeing schools show you how to um, film wrestling matches. You learn a little bit more of the uh, intricacies that it takes to light a show. You know, we never think about this stuff. Lighting yeah. and, you know, staging and... You know, you're learning all these production aspects, editing. They'll have students, you know, edit their matches or edit other, you know, students' matches. So there's a lot that goes into it. Our training was still the early day or the the early mentality of, you know, we would get it, we'd get there and we'd start running the ropes in the ring, which means you'd run from one side, go off the ropes run to the other side, go out the ropes and you'd go back and forth. And these were drills basically. 
if you were not in the ring, you were outside of the ring and we would be doing Himalaya squats. And that was it, man. You would stay active for the first 30 to, to 60 minutes of a class. Our cardio never went down. Good. Yeah, it was it was amazing because now there are a lot of schools who don't put the time into training you in that aspect. Into cardio? Damn. uh, Yeah. In cardio. Yeah. Everyone needs it. Well, and what's happened in our, you know, in our way of handling each other um, as a society, we've become very much. um, Namby pamby. Well, yeah, we don't want to, you know, we don't want someone to (laughs) go to wrestling class and th- and be throwing up because Pussies. you work so hard. Ex- yeah, that's yeah. say that's it. Exactly. Bunch of pussies. God damn yeah, it. Uh, and not a, not the good pers- pussy. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> no, it, you know it really does. I was just channeling. Uh, what was that movie? Back to school with uh, <laughs> Roddy, Roddy Dangerfield yelling at Sir Sam Kinison, yelling him. No, just yeah. say it. Say it. Say it. Ah, because Nixon was too much of a pussy to go across the 43rd parallel or whatever uh, his line was there. Anyway, yeah, Truman. yeah, so. Truman. It was, it was Truman. <laughs> Truman. This is one of my favorite films, so I, yeah. <laughs> I always screw up my quotes. Uh, it's just part of who I am. Um, well, so yeah, so that's exciting. You trained, and, and but you didn't, you decided it wasn't for you, and so you ended up doing some other things in the world of entertainment. Um I want to I, – I, boy, I mean I could talk to you about this for hours, um, but I want to uh, get to a few other topics before we run out of time. Um, let's go to WWE because I don't watch WWE. Uh, my listeners complain about this a little bit, so I might have to start watching again. I stopped watching when uh, uh, the night that uh, Roman Reigns came out and said he had cancer and I cried. It was a beautiful moment, and then they ruined the beautiful moment by having uh, 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 Moxley, who was then known as um, Dean Ambrose, uh, turn on his uh, his fellow Shield members, and it, it it just showed me they had no understanding of what the viewers, the emotional roller coaster that they were taking us on, and how they stupidly ruined it. And I I do miss it because I think there are people like Elias, for example, that I absolutely it loved every second of seeing or Alexa bliss and how she manipulated her character. And so maybe I'll start watching again, but let's talk WWE. I saw a headline today that bothered me. It said, uh, Samoa Joe is going to take over as the full-time, uh, announcer for the King, Jerry Lawler, which is not bad from a speaking perspective, but does, is what's going on with Samoa Joe? Is he injured? Why can't he wrestle anymore? He's one of the greatest of all time. Wow. Um, you know, it's a personal connection because I knew Joe when he was, I mean, he wasn't even a year into the, his training when he was allowed to train other wrestlers. So think about that. He was that good. He understood wrestling like the back of his hand. Yeah. And the most interesting fact is that John Cena was the prototype is what they called his character. Right. Because he looked like something that you would buy in the action figure aisle. 
Joe looked like a Samoan kid who played football in high school, right? Right. right. Offensive lineman. Yeah. I mean, you know, he had a very relatable everyday look. The problem at that time was Vince didn't want that at all. He didn't want that shit. He wanted guys like Cena. And Cena goes on to be in a training or a developmental class with Batista and Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton. Yeah, that's a good group. Yeah, it's it's fairly good, you know, fairly possible mm-hmm. possible uh, Hall of Famers there, maybe. Um, but the, the idea, though, is that if you look at those guys, holy shit, they are huge chiseled guys. Right. Joe never got the opportunity with the WWE at that time. So he really paved his way on the independent scene and hooked up with ROH. ROH really propelled him as well as, you know, some of these other guys who are huge now, like AJ Styles, right? You, you, you see AJ go to Impact and eventually, you know, have some uh, some dealings with ROH. Um, these are guys who paid their dues because they didn't look like Hulk Hogan or, you know, The Undertaker. These were smaller guys or fatter guys or guys that didn't fit Vince's idea of what a superstar was. Joe busted his ass, busted his ass in TNA. And he really, I think, by the time he got to NXT, his body had taken so much that you're talking about a guy now who is in his mid to late 30s. His body's starting to break down. Also, Vince McMahon going back to like Randy Savage has looked at guys. He did this to Piper. He did it to Savage. He did it to Kurt Henning. Take guys who are talented on the mic, put them in the broadcasting booth. Um, Samoa's, he, Joe's replacing the King. The King, the King was the King of Memphis, Tennessee. He was this great wrestler. They brought him into the WWF. He had matches with guys like Bret Hart, but you could see that Lawler was slowing down. So what did he do? He moved, He made him commentary. He moved him strictly to commentary. So I think this is something that goes back even to Jesse Ventura. When Jesse got hurt, yep. Yep. He, you know, you, you found a new voice, and that's what Vince has been doing. It sucks that Joe never got that pinnacle um, world championship reign, which yes. he so Should deserved. He so deserved. Yeah. If there's one guy in all of wrestling that I'd be scared of, I guess, um, you know, in a real-life situation, I think you, top of the list would be Joe. He scares me. Like, I know I'm sure he's a nice guy in real life, but um, his wrestling character to me is the most convincingly real because of the way he brings anger yeah. to the ring. It's just amazing. I, you know, I mean, I think... You would, you certainly wouldn't want to get in a fight with Brock Lesnar or Jake Hager, but um, but just the guy that that just with his personality and skills combined frightens me is Joe, and that's that's a shame. Um, I want to also talk to you about the WWE layoffs. It's something that you and I have talked about privately. I find it extraordinarily offensive um, because. The WWE makes their money primarily off of television contracts. It's their main source of income. And they've been doing television shows throughout the coronavirus 
uh, uh, crisis. So they haven't. In fact, they've admitted in in conference calls, business wise, that they haven't really seen a drop in revenue, and yet. They not only decided to lay off a bunch of wrestlers, they decided to lay off a bunch of low-level back, uh, backstage people who were making thirty to forty thousand dollars a year or some kind of low amount, and ruin these people's lives. And I just, I just don't understand the heartlessness of it. Maybe you can explain to me and defend them on this. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll take the easy uh, side then, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's one of the hardest things to defend, obviously, because any company at this time letting employees go is just one of the hardest things. With with Vince McMahon, what's interesting is the layoffs came right at the same time they announced that the NF the XFL was um, folding and it was it was declaring bankruptcy. The part that was not really known publicly and as Vince had steered it had always been that none of the WWE's money was invested in the XFL. But in the filings, we find out that I think the WWE actually had about a 10% stake in it. So they actually lost money from the company which Vince probably should have not done, which makes it even crazier that Vince McMahon is considering buying the bankrupt XFL. Okay. So, so you've got this weird scenario. Is he using the big dividend that they paid themselves? Um, in the middle of this, these layoffs? Because that probably so, would pay for him buying a bankrupt football league. And that's – you know what? I got a feeling that that possibly is what is being rolled back into <laughs> potentially buying the XFL back. So they it's give a crazy. big dividend. They, cut, they lay off a bunch of people who have been loyal to them for many years. They take that money and give a big dividend to all the shareholders. Since Vince McMahon is the biggest shareholder, he takes that money and uses it to buy the XFL, which was supposed to have been separate from the WWE in the first place. That's what you're saying. That's your defense? That, I don't even know if it's a defense <laughs> at this point. It's just kind of the weird you know, factual thing that's going on. There's, I mean, it's so indefensible in the sense that you're, you know, you're creating um, a huge job loss for, especially those workers who weren't actually even on the, the brands themselves or at the shows, the people who worked in the offices, that was the, the biggest, you know, surprise. No one was ready for that, which is crazy. Wrestlers, I think that they actually are under the knowledge that at any time they could be released. And if you ask for your release, more likely than not, you're going to get a contract extension. <laughs> right. So, right. Um, but it, you know, and it goes to show we don't really know what's going on because um, someone like Drew Gulak, who was let go just i think two weeks ago is now back in the company yeah probably at a lower uh lower salary 
Yeah, so most likely, you know, some of these guys probably got contract reworks. Eli, uh, not Eli, uh, Drake Maverick, um, you know, he cut an amazing emotional video when he found out that he was going to not have a job. Yep, I saw it. I loved it. And that has turned into an angle because he has not been off TV since. He's been in NXT. And he's been going <laughs> through the cha- the uh, tournament championship for the uh, the new cruiserweight title that's been rebranded as nxt and um you're gonna see him wrestling for that title i believe it's uh at the uh, pay-per-view on sunday um the 7th and this has been a whole build-up just based off the fact that he has been fired or you know released from his contract which goes to show that sometimes it might be a work and you know you have this insane amount of layoffs if they're using that as an angle then it becomes even more hard to defend (laughs) because now you just let a bunch of people go who are legitimately out of job and now you have a guy who people thought was legitimately out of a job who looks like he wasn't like the audience was played I think those are missteps. Yeah. And I yeah. that's what gets them so much heat is that Vince McMahon knows that essentially he can do anything he wants to do. He can try anything he wants to try. And as long as he's getting some kind of response, whether it's good or bad, and we've seen – when fans hate something, Vince likes to just shove it down your fucking throat. You know, he's yeah. <laughs> he's merc- stubborn like that. Yeah. So, yeah, God, it's so hard to defend. I, I really hope that in the end, majority of the people who were laid off will get hired back. And, you know, even if it's a, at a little lower rate, um, that's fine. Um just so that you know you have that job and stability back i just hope the um, workers from the main offices i hope that they all have jobs when you know they're ready to you know um, because they're changing they're changing facilities too they're leaving what was titan towers all those years ago um for a new location they have to. I heard somebody got murdered yeah. where they got thrown off of the top of Titan Towers recently. Not not one, but two guys. <laughs> two guys murdered. Uh, sorry, guys, uh, listeners, just kidding. It was something like another stupid ga- uh, gag they ran on WrestleMania. Um, uh, all right, well, that's enough WWE talk, I suppose. And by the way, just a side note, a passionate personal plea – if you are a broadcaster, a news person, uh, or in any job where you still manage to get your salary during the coronavirus crisis, I beg of you, please have sympathy and empathy for those people who lost their source of income during this time. I, I hear from – I hear so many people – say stuff you know like well these guys uh, need to learn to just stay at home uh, you know like they they want to leave their houses because they want to kill people by spreading around coronavirus um 
yes, coronavirus is horribly dangerous, and we as a society need to do everything we can to make the world safe and avoid people getting killed, and we especially need to protect our elderly and those with underlying conditions. At the same time, you have to understand that there's another driving force besides people wanting to avoid getting the coronavirus, and that is they want to eat. And if you look at the four-hour lines at the food banks, you understand a completely different perspective than those who uh, are, are telling the news and still getting paid. So, um, you know, I'll step off my soapbox. One more topic I want to cover with the great Matt Michaels here, and that is other territories. I think it's wonderful. I grew up uh, watching wrestling myself in um, uh, WCCW, World Class Championship Wrestling. And at the time, you know, there were territories, and it was really cool. Each territory had their own little independent thing going, and sometimes wrestlers would be working for Mid-South Wrestling, and then all of a sudden one day they would show up in – in WCCW, and it would be so exciting to see this guy you had heard rumors about from the other territories and so on. Matt, you're sort of an expert. We can't cover all of the great ones. Um, uh, by the way, I wouldn't call Impact a territory. Impact is a wonderful wrestling organization. You guys out there know that I've done some great work for them myself. Um, but uh, so, if, you know, if you, if you consider them the United States, the three majors are Impact, AEW, and WWE, you've got all these other amazing organizations ranging from the bigger ones like Ring of Honor to the smaller ones like Barroom Wrestling. Um, uh, Matt, you have an affiliation with FSW, and I have been listening to your podcast uh, quite a bit, and I, I friggin' I just I listened to every minute of your Joe DeFalco files. Uh, talk, talk to me about your affiliation with FSW and what's, uh, what's going on with them and, and about your podcast. Well, I do have to give, um, Joe DeFalco, um, thus the DeFalco files, uh, Joe DeFalco is the of, owner of FSW. Yeah. He's the owner of future stars wrestling here in Las Vegas. Um, Joe is a guy who he really kind of sees the big picture of how to get people who are just starting out, you know, people who are students building them up and actually having them become signed talent to some of the companies you were mentioning. Um, if you look at guys that Joe DeFalco has either had in the training facility, like, um, uh, Kevin cross, who is now, uh, what are, they, what are they calling him? Car- Carrion Cross, I think in NXT is what they're calling him. Um, and and his uh, his lovely uh, significant other, Scarlet, they're in NXT and they're getting a shot right away. It's it's beautiful. Um, you're also seeing Chris Bay, who you guys have interviewed. Yes. Um, you know you're seeing him on Impact now, and the guy's only been at it three years. Three years. This kid is so good and so mature in the wrestling business. So you're seeing guys coming out of FSW like that, but you're also seeing Joe has been able to build his big cards, which are the Mecca cards by bringing in bigger name talent. And you've had Matt Hardy as the FSW heavyweight champion. That shit doesn't happen, you know, with significant wrestlers on independent level. 
so you're not going to see a Matt Hardy hold the belt in, you know, Arkansas or, you know, uh, upstate New York or, you know, it just happened that he was at the right place at the right time. And Joe talks about it and definitely check out the, uh, the Vegas bad boys of podcasting and that's bad boys with a Z. Um, you can look you can... this up on any yeah. podcast platform. We're, we're covered out there. But the biggest thing is you hear stories from Joe about how these guys have crossed paths with him and how they've helped Vegas wrestling become very big. And between uh, us in Las Vegas, Santino Brothers in Los Angeles – and the emergent scene in Arizona, which is still fairly young, the West Coast is now hotbed of people who are major players on the independent scene who are becoming major players on the professional national scene. Um, it's one of the coolest things about pro wrestling is that these kids who go into it and who really love wrestling they will sacrifice their you know money in terms of they're not able to go out and buy you know the the, the latest dvd or you know uh, spend a lot of money on fancy food and you know they're barely making it by because they have to, you know, scrape and, and scramble. But as soon as they start getting opportunities, people are wanting to fly them to Portland or to, you know, Poughkeepsie or, you know, St. Louis. And that's when you start making money as a wrestler. And I think that FSW, um, in terms of the affiliation, it's more of a friendship. It's more of um, one of those things where I can talk to Joe about this and let Joe talk because Joe is a very, very interesting storyteller. Uh, we've had him on uh, this podcast. You bet. Uh, he'll exactly. talk and talk and talk. He's he he's wonderful interviewer, interviewee. Yeah, and and you know, and I think this is not only Joe, but this goes for everyone during this time period of the shutdown during the coronavirus, you saw a place like Santino Brothers. They didn't uh, survive in their location because the rent was too damn expensive and they couldn't run any classes or any shows. So they're going to have to open up a new facility, which is probably going to end up being better for them. But that is something that's been going on throughout this whole coronavirus uh, shutdown is that you've seen that some of the smaller companies, um, they haven't been able to survive just like small businesses have not been able to survive, you know, just like your industry was affected by the mandates. It's hmm. something that I'll tell you, Joe DeFalco got a lot, a lot of heat for running a Mecca show the Sunday before everything was officially shut down here in Vegas. I was we there. Still have... I watched that yeah. show the other night on fight TV and I am prominently displayed many times. 
and and it was your choice to go too. That's the thing that I think that we're kind of missing is that hey man, grown adults are making choices as long as the um, the promoters are able to situate seating as such that there is a little bit of social distancing going on. There's no reason that a business like a, a wrestling show shouldn't be able to run. Um, yeah. So it, you know, it really affected everyone. And I encourage anyone, if you're listening and you haven't checked out your local pro wrestling scene, I'll tell you, we're lucky here in Las Vegas because Joe DeFalco runs a top quality show and you can catch him on fight TV. You can catch him on Twitch. They do their, their house shows, uh, you know, from their facility on Twitch. Um, and some shows around this world, you know, nation, you're going to see that you might go to a local show and you're like, well, that wasn't WWE quality. That wasn't, you know, all this pizzazz and flair. Yeah, it, it isn't. But, I'll tell you right now, when you look at wrestling and you look at stand-up comedy, you could have 30, 40 years ago seen a stand-up comic like a, a Jerry Seinfeld in a small you know, establishment, and you might have sat through a lot of bad comedians. Yeah. But then you saw this one gem, and that's what's around you. I mean, no matter where you look, there is always one small gem in, you know, whether it be Missouri or Kentucky or and that small gem, start following them now because you're going to know their story. You're going to like them as a person and you're going to want to follow their career, you know, as long as it goes and maybe further, you know, if they get out of wrestling and you still follow them on Twitter, that's the whole thing. Yeah. It's keeping interested in people, man. Awesome and to catch them in the beginning. Yeah. Jump on that train early. Um, love it. I'm a huge fan of FSW, obviously. We've had Joe on the show and um, uh, and uh, Chris Bay on the show. It's just it's one of the great, uh, great organizations. All right. Well, this has been a wonderful interview with you. I'm so glad that you have um, – sort of, you know, just sprinkled your knowledge of wrestling throughout the various pieces of it. There's so much more we need to get to with you, so I hope you'll come back on the show in another month or two and give us another update on what's going on in the world of wrestling. And uh, just promote your podcast one more time. Tell everybody what it is and what's your social media, because they need to be following you. And you can find us, uh, if you look up Vegas Bad Boys Podcasting, really if you type in Vegas Bad Boys with a Z, we're going to come up so you can, you know, see what our Twitter is, um, which I think is at like Vegas Bad Boys uh, podcast, I believe. Um, but more importantly, uh, please check out the podcast, um, subscribe, uh, download it. Basically, we give you a number of shows every week. Um, the DeFalco Files really deals with FSW and Joe DeFalco's, um, you know, dealings. Um, Matt Michaels, uh, people I don't hate is pretty much our hub for interviews. Yeah. Uh, and then we have other things. Uh, our, our man, DJ impact. He does, um, a four corner buckle where 
he'll talk to four fans and um, basically debate them on a topic for, you know, about five to seven minutes uh, each person. And it's really fascinating because we get to hear the listeners' opinions and views. And we do our hub show is the Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting. We do wrestling talk, essentially. And most podcasts give you a bunch of guys just talking crap about how WWE sucks or you know how AEW sucks or how this angle was bad or how this thing was amazing. We go a little further. We try to find three topics every week that are talkable topics, um, things that most fans um, aren't aware of even, stuff that touches on the inner workings of the business. And we got some really good characters on there, like Simon Street, King Lucky, Sin City Steve, and DJ Impact. So we have five different opinions coming at you. And I'll tell you right now, people will hate me, People will love me. People will hate some of the guys. People will love some of the guys. But every single opinion that you can think of is covered because you got so many different minds. It's amazing that we get a chance to talk about something we love and we get to share it with people and that people are interested and they like it and they want more. So, you know, please check us out. And I'll tell you right now, Next time I come back, bring maybe one or two of the boys with and uh, people get a, a chance to hear some opinions from some of the other guys, because even though I have my opinions and views, I'm sure that people are sick of listening to me <laughs> right now. So I'll give you some new insight as well. Glenn, if you uh, you have us back, we will uh, appreciatively um, have some of the other boys uh give some of their uh, opinions man great great i look forward to it so uh, you guys are the official wrestling subject matter experts of the mature audiences mayhem podcast thank you so much for coming on matt uh if you are one of matt's many 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 fans and you've just checked out uh my show today just so you could get to know matt a little bit more of his personal side we thank you so much for coming and we would appreciate it if you would do us a favor and hit that subscribe button, whether you're listening to us on Spotify, uh, iTunes, Google Play, um, uh, iHeartRadio, just about everywhere that you can get podcasts. We're there. So uh, where, wherever you're listening to us, please give us a follow and maybe even take the time to give us a five-star review. So there you go, everybody. Another great episode of Mature Audiences Mayhem. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.